everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello, welcome back to our eighth episode of the Listen and Learn series. Wow, we are close to the end. Now, as a reminder, this Listen and Learn series is part of our effort for professional learning over the summer, where we will be sharing 10 actions that teachers can take to facilitate or enhance creativity in the classroom. And these 10 actions emerge from over 200 tips that we've gathered during our podcast interviews with creativity researchers, practitioners, and talented educators. Now, those of you who've been listening, you'll know that during each of these episodes, we've been sharing one action and we've been encouraging you to generate a one or two sentence summary for how you can apply that action in your classroom during the upcoming school year. So to help you with this task, we've created a Google spreadsheet that lists the action, includes some takeaways from us and a space for you to include your one or two sentence summary. The link to this spreadsheet is included in each episode description. Additionally, if you want to join in an online discussion, check out creativethinkingnetwork.com to join me in debriefing each of these tips. So our seventh action that we're sharing is a reminder, no particular order, but the seventh action is nurturing creative potential. And for this action, we have two highly respected researchers. Our first is from Howard Gardner. First of all, every young child, unless they're beaten or are in a very autocratic system, loves to explore, tries things out, uh, gets pleasure out of it. And when a child is young, I think the job of the parent is to encourage the child to be worried if the child is obsessively repeating, um, that's not good, or if the child flits from one thing to another without spending a amount of time, any amount of time. But as long as a child is engaged and trying things out, if the child is two, three, four, five, six, seven, I think that's great. Ultimately, however, to use a Yiddish word, potchking around is not enough to get you through life. You know, at a certain point, you need to develop some discipline, some skills, in the sense that something can be better than something else, and there are reasons for it. And so what I call the development of the disciplined mind is something that uh, uh, any parent and educator needs to be concerned about when the child finishes the first years of life and is in elementary, middle grades, and so on. But as we said earlier, keep your eyes open for that iconoclast who is isn't just destructive, but is trying things out that are really different, because ultimately that can be very a, a precious commodity. When the MacArthur Fellows were studied, these are people who are considered creative, uh, most of them didn't fit in very well with school, because they weren't doing exactly what their teachers and parents wanted them to do. So having some, give, give some slack to a child trying something, not doing it like everybody else. 
What I thought was really interesting about that, Matt, was how he talked about the early years and sort of the breadth of exploration. And I know you just had your book that was launched. I know you're going to be quiet about it, but I'm not going to be. And so congratulations on that book. And if you want to check it out, where can they find it? It's on Amazon. Google uh, my name. It's, uh, um, oh, I've always got put on the spot. I forgot the name of my book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wait, oh, here we go. Raising... Um, raising highly creative kids uh, eight tips for early years parenting thank you for the shout out cindy i will include a link on amazon where you can find it on amazon in the show notes so i think it's really interesting that he talks about the breadth and then he talks about the depth because i think the depth is where you really get into problem solving in a discipline and so i think that's sort of the beauty of depth is you know it's fun to tinker around and and play with something but when you really go deep into a content area or domain then you really explore the complexities and ambiguities and problem solving that comes with it all so i think that's sort of the beauty of nurturing the creative potential both early on and then as you get older yeah and it it's an, it's an interesting one to talk about because we we obviously promote the importance of curiosity and, and going, I know I talk a lot about going and exposing young children to lots of different things. So they have opportunities to identify new interests and to identify uh, new talents that perhaps they didn't know that they had. But there is a point we're hearing within this tip that it's about now focusing on something where you can develop expertise. And I think obviously from kind of like that, that Pro C creativity, eminent creativity, big C creativity, there is a need to develop that level of expertise where you can go and have a really significant impact in your domain, your field, or your industry. Now, when that happens, my gut feeling is is an even larger discussion, but I think it's something to, to think about for our listeners, those that are perhaps in the early years, education, elementary school, whereas if we have some folks who are teaching within university or at the high school level, they might want to be thinking about this tip from another perspective. Shall we listen to our second clip from creativity researcher, Mark Runko? One of, if not the main problem with creativity among students has to do with uh, social pressure and fitting in. And you can probably see why I said, depending on the age, this is really a huge problem in the middle and upper upper elementary grades. Uh, It probably explains the so-called fourth grade slump. But you also see a dramatic shift towards conventionality and what my friends are doing and thinking at, again, up at uh, age 10, maybe a little before and maybe a little after. And that's problematic because... A strict adherence to convention uh, precludes creativity. It's basically antithetical to originality. And students may have the capacity to be original, but in, in certain critical age, they don't bother with it. They don't want it. They hide it because what will my friends think? And um, this is a big problem, and, 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 and on several levels. They may have a good idea and they don't share it, but they all also won't pursue that idea. They won't invest in it further. So it's an immediate problem, but also a kind of a, a medium-range problem. It can be avoided if students realize the value of creativity and originality, but also have enough confidence to just say no. 
Well, Cindy, obviously, first of all, before we, we begin to dissect this clip, you know, Mark Runco, you know, is, is, is written a lot about creative potential. And, you know, I know you and I had a lot of offline conversation because we were impacted by so many of the different things that he shared in his episode with us when he was talking about creative potential. And I think really this is one of multiple clips that we could have identified with. But for me, this particular clip, I think, is stressing the importance of confidence. It's, you know, we may have ideas in our head and at a young age, we may have confidence in those ideas and those ideas are original and we share them and people value them. But as we get older, we may begin to self-doubt some of our ideas and perhaps where we're different. We come up with an idea that no one else has had before. We now feel that we're the odd one out. What will other people think of that idea? Because it's not the same as other people's ideas. And then perhaps we hold back. We're now worried about being the disruptor or we're worried about sharing something that nobody else understands. And obviously the connection with originality is is particularly emphasized in that point as well. But for me, it's about having confidence, having confidence in your ideas and recognizing that your ideas, even if they're original, can be of value to people. So we have to have the confidence to sharing them. But the key point is teachers this is obviously a message for us as as creators, but teachers have to recognize that within their environment, they have to work to nurture confidence. They have to work on students' confidence to share ideas in order to realize creative potential. And another thing that it reminds me of, Matt, is how Jonathan Plucker, when we talk to him about creative potential, is identifying that creative potential. So not only are we nurturing it, but first we have to identify that there's creative potential there. And I remember him saying, you know, so often people ask about testing kids and we should test kids to see if they have creative potential. But in reality, I remember him saying, just go with it. You know, if you're seeing a, a child build a a fort for a animal, then run with that and do something with it and help develop that and nurture that potential that they are showcasing, that you don't need to test kids to show if they are creative or not. So really looking out for those kids. And I think what you're talking about, Matt, that creative confidence, you know, identifying them, you know, so often in schools, we give out achievements for academics and for sports, but I have rarely been to schools where we're identifying kids who are creative and saying, wow, you're really, I really enjoy and appreciate this creativity you have brought. And I'll give you a great example of this, Matt. Uh, about seven years ago, my colleague John Cobber and I did a massive open online course on igniting your everyday creativity. And we went around and we were looking for examples of everyday creativity. And we went to a school with pre-K through eighth graders. And we said, give us your most creative student at this school. We don't care how old they are. Tell us who you think is your most creative student. And they gave us a boy who was in eighth grade and his name was Nelson. And they said, you should see the things that he creates. They are amazing. He made it, He made these YouTube videos that were just out of this world. So I contacted the parents to see if we could get permission to do this interview. 
And when I called the, the mother, I heard silence. I, I explained to her that we were doing, you know, this these videos on everyday creatives and that he was identified as the most creative student in the school. And I heard silence on the other end. And I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. Did this make you uncomfortable in any way? And she said, no. And she was crying and she was trying to pull herself together. And she said, it's just that I've always... I, I've always known that he was a little bit different, that he was able to be creative, but no one's ever said to me like, wow, your son is so creative. And she said, I can't tell you how much this means to me that the school identified him and that you're calling me to interview him. And she said, it just, it's, it's so important to identify that. And I, it just means so much to me. So I just think we need to have more of those phone conversations and calling parents and say, wow, I love what your child did on this book report. It was really creative. I, I love that, Cindy. And I, I, I'm going to resist the temptation to kind of build on it. But I think it, it, it touches on to some of the other things that we've spoken about. You know, one one tip in particular is us talking about creativity and, and the, the type of labels that we can sometimes um, inadvertently place on certain types of actions of being creative or not creative and also what we choose to focus on in schools so thank you for sharing for that all right we need to wrap this up so before we go i want to remind our listeners that if you're engaged in the listen and learn series we are raffling away various prizes but first you need to listen out to the end of each episode where we will be sharing a single letter which will help you identify a special code word now once you have that code word you simply need to email cindy and i sharing that code word and a one or two sentence summary of how you plan to implement one of the 10 actions for creativity that we've been sharing in this series. And you get to choose a prize so long as you send this email before the end of August 2023. So, Matt, are you ready for the letter? Yes. Cindy, drum roll. Tell us the letter. The letter is L. Lima. Like. Long. Land. Loop. Lucas. Oh, I finished on my son's name. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. My name's Dr. Matthew Werwood. Oh, wait. No, no, no. No, no. We is... can't go. We can't go. Liam as well. If he's listening, he'll get agitated. Lucas, Liam. <laughs> my name's Dr. Matthew Werwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. 